SAFM values your views. Be an active citizen. Okay, welcome back. It's uh, 12 minutes past one on uh, SAFM. Uh, that was me sanitizing, by the way. Uh, last week, uh, we had a chat, a whole hour's chat with Professor Barry Shub as we looked at the vaccine and its side effects. And many of you still wanted to engage. And yes, we have him back uh, because I think it's uh, always an important uh, conversation to have. Uh, if uh, there's a small question between you and, get, and you getting vaccinated, uh, then hopefully we can have that answered before uh, two o'clock last week. We said as the global race to vaccinate people against uh, COVID-19 continues, uh, reports of individuals, uh, some dying shortly after receiving uh, the jab, were spreading at high speed. And uh, the prof uh, responded to us. And uh, of course, uh, that discussion was around that uh, uh, speculation over whether vaccines were the cause of uh, those 28 deaths we spoke about last week. But you wanted him back. You had more questions. So Professor Barry Shoup joins us on the line uh, so you can and start calling as well if you have a vaccine-related uh, question. Prof, good afternoon. Thank you so much uh, for agreeing to come back. Good afternoon, KG. Thank you for having me back again. So what is the tally now? Before I allow the listeners to talk to you, what is uh, the total number of uh, vaccinated people in South Africa? Because somebody was saying, uh, you know, uh, when we tally that number, we must remember some only had one jab up to now and await the second one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can actually, if you wait just two seconds, I can actually get you the exact uh, the number I've got, it, but uh, I'd have to look it up. You know, offhand, I know about six and a half million doses uh, have been have been given in total. Uh, but you want to know how many are uh, partially immunized, how many are totally immunized? I'm, I'm, you know why I asked that question? Because people still think that, uh, you know, that partial immunization doesn't matter. Does it matter, the partial immunization, the people who have gotten their first jab? It does matter, you know, because, uh, you know, our, our main aim really is to prevent serious disease. You know, one jab of, of, uh, of, of Pfizer is uh, certainly not going to be that good for mild disease. That's about 33%. But once we go to preventing serious disease, we go up to about 92%. So, you know, it, 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 uh, it really is very important even to get one jab because one jab will be quite effective um, in, taking, in, in preventing the, uh, that level. Yeah. And, and then there's the people who've had COVID who worry a lot about uh, getting vaccinated. In fact, uh, one of the uh, uh, WhatsApps we got last week that we couldn't get through to you was somebody who said they had recovered from COVID, yes, but, you know, continue to have chest pains and therefore they're scared to get vaccinated. Are you able to address people who have uh, recovered from COVID regards getting the vaccine? Yes, we, you know, <clears throat> the problem is that, well, let me put the other way around. The vaccine actually gives you a much better immunity even than the natural infection. It's a little bit counterintuitive because no, we've always, and I've always taught the medical students, that the natural infection gives you a better immunity than the vaccine. You certainly see that with measles. But there are some diseases, and COVID is one of them, where the vaccine actually gives you a better immunity than the natural infection. And the reason for that is that the vaccine has been purposely engineered to give you a very powerful uh, stimulation of your immune system, get a good, strong immune response, stronger than you get for the natural infection. So people that have recovered from COVID, we still advise them to get the vaccine. 
And the reason why you want to get a good immune response is because there are the variants and you need a high level of, when we talked about the antibodies, mm. a high level of those neutralizing antibodies to deal with these various variants. So even if you had COVID, please still go and get your vaccine, uh, vaccine shot. I've got this. I've got the statistics up here. Um, yes, Katie, please. Do you want me to tell you? Yes, yeah, sure. yes. <laughs> okay. This is as of 27th of July, so it's, it's um, what two days ago. Two days ago. Right. It's just under seven million doses have been. I mean, probably a seven million now. Then it was 6.854 million doses. Of that, uh, 2.580 million people. That's 6.5% of the adult population have been fully vaccinated. What we mean by that is that they've had the one dose of Johnson Johnson. Remember, it's a one-dose vaccine, mm-hmm. uh, or two doses of Pfizer. Okay. So two point five eight million, two point six point five percent. Partially vaccinated, those who've had one dose of the Pfizer, is four point two seven four million or 10.7% of the adult population. Fantastic. And those ones, right? Because there's people who complain about the pain on the arm on the spot where they get vaccinated. Uh, One of them sent us a WhatsApp last week saying, is the second jab really necessary? Because I didn't like the pain I got on my arm. Mm. (laughs) You know, there is some, I'll just tell you for... Those are academic reasons. You know, there is a lot of research where they've shown that if one has had COVID, but obviously not COVID, say, last year, I mean, COVID, say, within this year, within a reasonable period of time, uh, and they then get one jab of, as you showed the Pfizer vaccine. It's Pfizer, yes. That they, yeah, that they get a very good immune response. In fact, equal, even somewhat higher when people had just the two doses of Pfizer. Now, I'm telling you for completeness, but in terms of practicalities, our, our policy still is, irrespective of you had COVID, you should get two doses. That's going to that's gonna give you a very good immune response, a very good protective response. Fantastic. You know, if one has some side effects, you can treat those side You know, people do get either pain in their arm or they get a, a fever or they're feeling a bit out of sorts. Now, sometimes maybe muscle pains on the next day. You know, you can take uh, a paracetamol, a panado, or an yeah. aspirin. There's no harm in doing that. That's not going to affect the immune response. It's... And if one is discomforted by the side effects of the vaccine, by all means, you can take an aspirin or, or a panado. Fantastic. So getting the second jab is necessary. It's probably a male uh, prof. You know how you guys are uh, with, uh, <laughs> with a pain response. But let's go to the callers now. We start with Anonymous in Durban. Hello, Anonymous in Durban. Welcome. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. I asked this question in the context of being a mum. Uh, and the reason why I ask is, uh, with my limited understanding of the Delta variant, as a mum, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, there, were, uh, there is a, a youngster, a 22-year-old that passed away of COVID-19, whom I know of. I also have three kids, you know, two teenagers. My question is, from a vaccine protocol perspective, in terms of the current variant, why has South Africa not changed this or allowed for a partial change for children under the age of 19 or 18 to be vaccinated, uh, especially since they've gone back to school and the Delta variant has impacted uh, uh, a few younger lives as well? I can listen in, uh, but 
I'm really, 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 really worried about this as a mother. Okay, okay, um, okay, you. okay, anonymous. Listen on the radio. Uh, uh, when are we vaccinating the under 18s? Especially considering there's under 18s, prof, who have comorbidities as well. Yes. Now, thank you for the question. Yes, I, I was actually asked that a little while ago by somebody, and and it is a very relevant question. We would love to immunise even down to 15-year-olds, and in some countries they are doing that. Mm. Now the problem is this, that even with the Delta, it is the, the, uh, the severe, you know, Shem, this, this listener spoke about a 22-year-old. Mm-hmm. That is very, very unusual. Uh, but the great majority of the severe cases are related to age. In other words, the older the age, the more likely it's going to be a severe infection. Mm. And that is why the rollout has been stratified according to age. So the first priorities were the number of the 60 pluses, then it went down to 50 pluses, and then it went down to 35, and then from September from the 18 plus. And the idea is that you really want to cover as many of the older sections of the population as quickly as possible, because those are the people that are more, far more likely, far more likely to land up in hospital and overburden the healthiest healthcare system and so on, with the, the, you know, all the hospital resources and so on. And this is why it is stratified according to age. And then even with the age bands, the greatest majority, I think it's over 80%, uh, are in 50-plus uh, mm-hmm. age group. Yeah. So we are anyway going to catch. But I agree, it is a problem because there certainly are younger people. With comorbidities, yes. Yeah, it's a difficult in terms of an organizational issue to kind of get the verification process. It is being addressed, it is being looked at, but at the moment uh, the policy still is on the age stratification because if anywhere we may catch up most of the comorbidities. Fantastic. Debucho in Midrand, welcome. Uh, the professor's listening. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I've got two questions for the prof. Short questions, really. The first one is: uh, Is this really is COVID vaccine really a vaccine, or is it trial? The reason I'm asking is because I went to the two websites. I went to the website of Pfizer, and I went to the website of J and J, and then they say that there is no FDA-approved vaccine to prevent um, COVID-19. And when was that article written? Um, I'm not sure, but, but okay. if you go to the website of J&J and also if you go to website of Pfizer, you'll see the, the same information, information. Okay, is it a vaccine or a trial? That's your first question. The second one? The second one is that we have had um, um, diseases like cancer for 100 years, HIV AIDS for 40 years, but there's no vaccine uh, for those um, illnesses. Why, why, is it, why is it taking so long to get vaccines for those other illnesses? Okay, Thank fantastic. You. Listen on the radio. Is it a vaccine? Is it a trial? He went on the uh, uh, the the uh, J&J and Pfizer website and yeah. he uh, alleges it says it's a trial and it's not FDA approved. Your take? No, it is FDA approved. I think where people do get a little bit confused is it's under emergency licensure. Mm. Uh, and maybe people say, wow, what does it mean, emergency licensure? It's just a terminology mm. because basically uh, the, the kind of full licensure can only take place after a couple of years, in fact, where they've rolled it out, where they've fully studied all the, the side effects, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really a bureaucratic thing more than a, a, a medical thing. Yeah. So initially all vaccines are registered as for emergency use. Yeah. People get a bit of alarm when they see the word emergency 
But uh, it doesn't mean really. It's just the way that it is um, pigeonholed in the licensing. But certainly these vaccines are licensed. We had that. We had a rollout which could have been a trial in the Sasonki program, you know, for the healthcare workers. Remember earlier in the year with J and J Johnson and Johnson yes. with the J and J, correct? Yes. But that, but that's 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 closed now. That is closed. Oh, I think in May, in fact, they stopped that. Yeah. So and uh, even that Sasonki trial, you'd say, was successful. Oh yes, it was very successful. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yes. yeah. There were, there were there were there were relatively few break uh, what you call breakthrough infections. Uh, you know they had what they immunized just under half a million. Mm-hmm. There were what, six thousand people that got infected. So it's a it's a really small proportion, and all of those are relatively mild. Okay, okay. Hey, Vexas, the conversation the- is with Professor Barry Shuper. Uh, sorry to disturb you, uh, Prof. I'm just reminding the listeners to get in touch. Uh, the conversation mm-hmm. is pro- with Professor Barry Shoup, who's the chair of the Ministerial Advisory Committee on Vaccines. Vexas, or uh, reluctant Vexas, we invite you to call and ask the Prof uh, your question. Uh, let me let you finish your trail of thought if you still want to, uh, Prof. Yes, I want to ask your answer because it, this is a common question to ask. Why don't we have a vaccine for HIV? Mm. And, and, and cancer. And, we were, and cancer. Yeah. Well, cancer is not due to the virus. Well, I mean, indirectly it is. And we do have some vaccines which do prevent uh, virus-associated cancer, like the, uh, the, um, uh, the wart virus, you know, the HPV, the papilloma virus. Mm-hmm. That, that's a, vaccine, a virus vaccine to prevent cancer of the cervix. Uh, the hepatitis uh, virus um, vaccines to prevent liver cancer. So we do have some vaccines which prevent the virus infection, which cause the cancer. But in terms of getting uh, vaccines against against some viruses, you know, the HIV virus itself is a very, very tricky virus to design a vaccine for. Um, and uh, there's been a tremendous amount of research for many years, mm-hmm. still haven't succeeded. And I think it's to do with the actual mechanism by which the virus replicates, which makes copies of itself. Uh, it's called reverse transcriptase, and it, it doesn't make it amenable, very amenable to get vaccine. The other thing, the problem with HIV is that it keeps changing. Mm. It's a very, very changeable virus, much more so than COVID. Uh, and also it infects, infects the immune system itself, mm, mm. what you really want to kind of stimulate to make a vaccine against. So all these are tricky things why it's difficult to get a vaccine. COVID is actually, or coronavirus, you should say, SARS coronavirus, really is a comparatively easy virus to design a vaccine mm. because it causes an acute infection. It uh, infects cells where you, you can direct an immune response against. It doesn't really affect the immune system itself directly. So all these things make it relatively easy. But you must remember we had a vaccine in less than a year. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, Mm. Speaking of HIV, because that question was also asked last week about whether or not people who are HIV positive and are on medication can get vaccinated. Do you want to respond to that? Yes, I would change the word can to should. Mm-hmm. People who are mm-hmm. HIV positive, living people living with HIV, should get the vaccine. Okay. Uh, the reason being is that they are in a category which may might make them a little bit more vulnerable. Mm. If they're under control, uh, then a little bit more vulnerable to the complications of COVID of a COVID infection. If they are not so well controlled, then even more reason why you want to protect them against getting COVID. 
The problem is, of course, it's uncontrolled if their immune system is not working so well because of the HIV. They might not respond so well to the vaccine, but they should get the vaccine for sure. Yeah. Let's uh, take a caller. Uh, Tom in Lebuakomo. Hello, Tom. Uh, good evening. Um, thank you for taking my call. I guess I've got only two questions, I think. The first one is, um, do I have a choice? Say if I want to vaccinate, do I have a choice to say I want I want the J and or I want Pfizer? That's the first question. The second question has to do with the statistics. According to the professor, I think yesterday he talked about 28 people who were, who passed on who were vaccinated. But uh, yesterday, hardly yesterday, somewhere around the uh, Macado, I was talking to the other friend of mine. She was telling me that well, last week Saturday they buried 10. And then this past uh, Saturday, eight, all of those people have been vaccinated. So I just want to check as to how do you do your statistics. Because if one place is 18 and we are told of 28, are we, are we really telling the truth? I'll listen on radio. Okay, um, I think uh, we had this discussion last week, but uh, I have to go to news headlines. But, Prof, uh, apply your mind again to uh, tell the story again uh, about uh, the choice uh, between J&J and Pfizer. That's the first question. And uh, the number 28 and whether or not, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, the legitimate number of people who passed after getting vaccinated because I'm wary to say they died because they were vaccinated. They passed after uh, getting vaccinated. You can respond to that because he says he went to a funeral, heard a rumor that 10 died and 8 died and uh, rumors are big with COVID-19. So we'll continue uh, with uh, Professor Barry Shube. It's half past one. It's time for the news headlines. Amanda Machaka is standing by. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Leading the conversation. Welcome back. Uh, we're in conversation with Professor Barry Shub, Chair of the Ministerial Advisory Committee on uh, Vaccines. And we're taking all your uh, questions uh, for vaccinating. Uh, Prof, the first question was, do you have a choice between J&J and Pfizer? I could answer that, but I think you do a better job. <laughs> Maybe you, KG, you do a better job than I would. <laughs> uh, the, the bottom line is no. You know, if you go to a vaccination site, unfortunately, there will only be one vaccine available, which has been provided to that vaccine site. There won't be a choice. And uh, unfortunately, at the moment, we've really only got the two vaccines, uh, the Johnson Johnson Pfizer. I should say the two premium vaccines worldwide, the two best vaccines, but it is two vaccines. And it will depend what vaccine is supplied to a particular vaccine site. At the moment, in fact, Pfizer is the main vaccine which is being used. But, uh, you know, it might well be Johnson & Johnson. It's really not going to make any difference. They're both equally good and equally safe. Okay. And uh, the, and then, the issue of uh, the 28 that passed and the, the rumours. Yeah. Okay. Now, unfortunately, rumours, you know, and, and you know, when people are bereaved when they, when they, and, uh, and grief and so on, unfortunately, they do often blame and they look to blame something. And, you know, the problem with that, with uh, with uh any of the adverse, what you call adverse events, now in other words, things which are adverse, which occur after vaccination, is that you need to establish, is it just temporal, is it just because of the timing that happens after the vaccine? Because a lot of the life events do take place 
up to and say a month after getting a vaccine in that period of time, or is it due to the vaccine? Mm. Now, all these adverse events do get reported and they do get investigated. And the investigating team, which is a high-level team, need to establish, is it due to the vaccine or has it just happened to be at that particular time? And the great majority of these adverse events are just temporal. They're not causal. Okay. There are some causal things, but, uh, but there be no real, there have been no deaths that have actually been directly due to the vaccine in this country. Yeah, I think it's important um, to emphasize that there has been no real deaths that have been directly linked to getting the vaccine. Not in this country, no. no not in this no. country. Okay, no. uh, Anonymous in Cape Town has been holding for a while. I apologize to you, Anonymous. We really have a lot of callers, uh, so we take a bit of time to get to everybody. And welcome the professors listening to you. Thank you, KG. I realize yes, I've waited almost over 10 minutes, but thank you for acknowledging that. Uh, doctor, my concern and my question is that I am one of the person that is living with the HIV virus, and yes. I'm in the fourth year, and I've been taking medication regularly and uh, accordingly. And uh, in that four years, probably I've only missed a day or two, but also it, it didn't come intentionally when I didn't, but then I carried on. So every time I go back to collect my meds, they read my uh, CD4 and they check all that. Everything has been fine and working perfectly normal. But the yes. confusing part has been that my, my CD4 count has never been up. It's below 200 since then. But I live actively healthy and happy. Now my concern is if I had taken this uh, vaccines because it's yes. a virus versus the HIV virus. I'm not just sure how it's gonna react into my body because it's gonna activate the virus either to go more deteriorating side or to more improving side. Since that it's been hard for the uh, ARV to up the CD4 count. So that's only my concern. And secondly, on the concern part. If I had a choice, I would rather do the Johnson & Johnson. Yeah, uh, Anonymous, but the... we, know, we know you don't have a choice. There's a lot of calls. Please yes. uh, get through your question so that the prof can answer. Okay. So uh, actually then I will end there, but I will, I will listen on the radio for, from the prof. Yes. Fantastic. Thank yeah. you. Well, thank, yeah, thank you for that question. Now, clearly your HIV needs to be managed, and I presume you do go to the HIV clinic where they can manage. I do understand what the, what the question is. You're worried about if there's a vaccine, will that activate your CD4 cells? So I'm going to get a little technical, but I think the listener probably knows what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. uh, and therefore increase the viral load. I don't think that, that, that is too much of a risk. I think because we are anyway, our, our, our immune system is stimulated. We are always um, confronted with microorganisms. Having said that, I think you are a special case. I think you do need to consult with the clinic that you're there with the HIV specialists that are looking after you. The critical thing in your case, and I really can't emphasize it strongly enough, is that you must keep up with your medications you need to kind of have a high level of your antiretrovirals because I, I think it is important that you do get the COVID vaccine. I think first consult with your, with your specialist who's looking after you. I, you can mention that you did speak to me. 
that I do think you should be immunized. Having said that, I think it's important to consult with him and very important that your antiretrovirals are kept up because you want to suppress that viral replication. Fantastic. Thank you, Prof. Uh, I've got uh, a WhatsApp I want to read. Uh, It says, uh, Hi, KG. Uh, My daughter has autoimmune disease where the immune system attacks the body organs. Is it advisable that she takes the vaccine? The concern being that after taking vaccine, her immune immune system will be stronger and will now strongly attack her body organs. That question from Anonymous. Do you want to respond? to it or should they uh, consult their doctor? No, well, I think with all of these, consult their doctor, but I think it's, uh, you know, just for general, there's a general uh, response. Yes, uh, a lot of people have asked me that as well. Mm. The only thing is, is the vaccine is very specific. It's not a non, it doesn't kind of uh, non-specifically wake up the immune system and stimulate the immune system. Mm. It's specific to the particular gene for that spike protein on the virus, that is what's stimulating. So uh, the autoimmune antibodies, in other words, antibodies which the body makes against itself, yeah. will, not be, or will not be activated. There is one complication, uh, I, don't, I don't know how technical case you want me to get, uh, of an autoimmune for, uh, uh, complication with the Johnson & Johnson, and that's the, uh, the clotting phenomenon, you know, where they make mm-hmm. antibodies mm-hmm. against the blood. But that's excessively rare, excessively rare. We're talking about three to five cases per million doses. Okay. Okay. Even, very, I, very even I got it. Um, and I am no Professor Barry Shub. Uh, Tembi, uh. <laughs> uh, Tembi is right here in Johannesburg. Hello, Tembi. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. The prof is listening to you. Yes, just a quick one. Hi, Prof. Um, I just wanted to find out, for one who's got high blood pressure, what are the pros and cons on taking a jab? And should it be, because it fluctuates, more often it will be high and you'll be feeling all those symptoms. What are the uh, risks on that? Yeah, I think there are only pros, there are no cons. And the reason I'm saying that is that high blood pressure is one of the risks of complication of COVID not the vaccine, COVID infection. So high blood pressure is one of the comorbids, what you call, an under, in other words, an underlying disease you call comorbidity, mm-hmm. and that makes you more severe complications. So you're certainly a person that definitely must get vaccinated as soon as possible. Yeah. So those people uh, whose comorbidities are the most dangerous that you think should get uh, um, vaccinated are people with high blood pressure, uh, people with uh, diabetes. Uh, is is there any anything else? Well, first of all, old age. Old the age. age. Number, uh, number, number one. Number one. Then uh, your yeah, high blood pressure, uh, diabetes, uh, any any underlying lung diseases or heart diseases, asthma, those kind diseases. of things. Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we see all of your calls, guys. We're going to do our best to try and get through uh, as many of them as uh, we can. We're going to come back with you, Ngwato. Uh, in Bulugwane, uh, just in case you just joined us, we're in conversation with Professor Barry Shub, chair of the Ministerial Advisory Committee on Vaccines. Uh, you know, the young people call it vaccine, Prof. So uh, the, the vaccine is the discussion. It's uh, one we We'll be back after this short commercial break. 
across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. Good afternoon and good afternoon to all the listeners. I've got a question. Uh, my name is Norman Matewala Kotindil Bushbagrich. I'm a truck driver. My question is, I really want to vaccinate, but I've got a problem that we are working long hours, 16, 17, 18 hours sometimes. So what I want to know is, after vaccinating, won't I get sleepy or dizzy or something like that, which may end up making me causing accidents on the road? Or if I want to vaccinate, I must just take an annual leave so that I vaccinate while I'm at home. Is it safe for me to vaccinate while I'm at work while driving this big truck working for long hours? That is the question that I want to know. Please, please, please. Thank you very much. Hi, my question about COVID vaccines is just the process of monitoring adverse events. How is it going in South Africa? Um, I know there's a phone number. I'm not sure if it's working and an email address. Um, are they getting a lot of feedback? Um, are they actively pursuing cases or are the medical fraternity um, feeding information into this database for South Africa's adverse events? Thank you. It's Karen from East London. Good afternoon, SAFM and doctor. Uh, actually, I have a few questions. Uh, first one would be um, between the Johnson & Johnson and the Pfizer, which is the best choice to take if you are going to have the vaccine? And why are they rolling out the Johnson & Johnson vaccine for like frontline workers, like your nurses, your, your healthcare workers, and your police, and they not really administering the Pfizer to them? Good day, guys. Uh, this is Bohana from Mace London. I have a question for the prof. Prof, tell me, uh, why is it uh, that the government is not uh, incentivizing the vaccination process? Like say, for example, give people uh, a pass to say that you're vaccinated, therefore you can no longer wear a mask. Uh, I think more and more people would get vaccinated because of that fact, because people are tired of masks. Just give them an incentive and just say, vaccinate and you'll take off your mask. <laughs> Did you hear that, Prof? Uh, they want uh, an incentive uh, to incentivize uh, people who uh, get vaccinated. In fact, I think there's countries with lotteries uh, for, for vexers. Do you want to respond to that? And the gentleman also said uh, he's a truck driver. Are there going to be adverse things that happen to his body uh, that may not allow him to drive a truck for 18 hours? And the one yeah. lady also spoke about, uh, you know, uh, how government is dealing with adverse uh, with monitoring adverse events monitoring. around around um, uh, yeah. the vaccination process. Well, let, let me let me try and take all of those. First of all, monitoring for ad adverse events. Yes, there's a very active. It's it's under the regulatory authority of SAPRA. Uh, there's actually a technical name for it. it's called pharmacovigilance. That was a vigilantly vigilantly look for any adverse event mm -hmm. and then any adverse event which gets reported to them and of course there's an encouragement there's a there's an app specific called uh, uh called vaccine safe where you can actually register uh adverse events um so you can look it up in the department of health website okay uh, it's it's there the details uh and you, uh all adverse events do get uh, investigated very thoroughly 
Obviously, one can't say 100% because nothing is 100%, mm-hmm. and uh, some may well be missed. But the data that we get and the statistics we get come from these active monitoring. Mm-hmm. Also, doctors are encouraged to report as well. So that's one. So they, they are, it is being actively monitored, and particularly this vaccine, which is a new vaccine, even more so than other vaccines which we've had in the past. Okay. With regard to the taxi driver, truck. You know, he's he, you know oh, drives truck, the big truck one. Driver, yeah, sorry, yeah. Sorry, the tractor. So big apart the truck driver. Uh, truck driver. Yeah. Look, I think it's very unlikely that he's going to be affected by side effects of the vaccine, which will allow him not to. You know, which will cause him, which will prevent him driving his truck. Uh, I don't know if he's had any other vaccine, like an influenza vaccine, because that will give him some indication of how he's going to react. I think it's very unlikely that he's going to need to take leave after vaccine. The great majority of people uh, don't have any significance. No, in fact, most people don't have anything at all. I didn't have anything. I didn't know if I, had, if I had the vaccine or not, but I did. And I didn't have any side effects whatsoever. And many, many people also have absolutely nothing. Yeah. But the majority who do have will just have maybe a tender arm or yeah. maybe a little bit fluey the next day. But that's not going to affect his ability to drive his truck. Yeah. So I don't think so. And, and, and if, he, if he's had a flu shot or any other vaccine before and hasn't reacted, he's unlikely to react to very seriously um, to the COVID. Most, the great majority of people don't have serious side effects. And the incentives? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I've heard in some countries they give you a slice of pizza uh, oh, when, wow. you, when, when you have your vaccine. Now, unfortunately, there's no incentive other than you get a card. Yeah. And his card says you've been vaccinated. Yes. Now, that may have some, for example, travel. There may be travel restrictions to some countries that you, to prove you've been vaccinated. Yeah. Some employment, like uh, I don't think, you know, this in this country it's widespread. But in some countries, for example, it's an employment requirement. In this country, it may well be, for example, you can't really become a healthcare worker or work in, a, say, a, a residence for old folk. If you haven't got a vaccine, you know, that's just logical. Yeah. Okay. Nguato in Bulugwane, we apologize to you. I know you've been holding for long. Welcome. Nguato? Uh Okay, um, I, I think uh, I, I think uh, he's gone. Uh, the issue of the choice, uh, that discussion uh, is is being uh, on the table. Uh, a lot of people are saying, in the end, uh, you know, uh, it, 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 is government going to find a way to force me to take the vaccine? Uh, but you would say no. I'm 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 from last I heard, no, no. right? Definitely no, no, no. You know, individual employers. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a labor lawyer, mm-hmm. but uh, I'd imagine that there are some categories of employment which require, as I mentioned, if you're a care worker in an old age home, one can imagine that that would be very reasonable, very logical, very fair mm-hmm. to demand the vaccination. Yeah, okay. That's fine. Uh, we'll come back with more calls. I have to go to another commercial break. Uh, we are in conversation with uh, Professor Barry Shoup. Uh, Professor Barry Shoup is the chair of the Ministerial Advisory Committee on uh, Vaccines. It's one fifty. Here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. SAFM. 105 FM in Peter Maritzburg. 
Welcome back. Uh, we are in conversation with Professor Barry Shub, who is the chair of the Ministerial Advisory Committee on Vaccines. We're talking all things vaccines today. We did get you back, Mwato, in Bulukwana. Good afternoon. What's your question? Hi, Kiki. How are you? I'm well, thank you. All right. Look, I, I, I want to ask the professor to clarify this issue of uh, employers wanting their employees to vaccinate. I know that in some instances there are rumors that uh, some employers are posting their employees. But I just want him to clarify where this issue is coming from. Because uh, I don't know, my understanding might, not, might be wrong, but I thought that when you are vaccinated, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't carry the, 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 the virus and infect other people. So I just want to understand that if I am vaccinated, how does it help other people? around me, maybe at work or people who are, I'm living around them. How does it help Wait, them? so what's your question? Is your question around employers forcing people to get vaccinated or is your question around uh, you, whether you can infect other people when you're vaccinated? No, it's about you, whether if you're vaccinated, can you infect other people? Okay, listen, and, listen on the radio then. Yes, I wanted to, 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 to explain the background where it's also coming from. Uh, I, I think the, I think the, uh, the, uh, if someone is vaccinated, the chances of transmitting, of infecting other people is very much reduced. It's decreased. It's not completely eliminated, but it's strongly reduced. And the point is this. If a number of people, if a whole a crowd of people, say all the employees in a particular office or a factory or whatever it is, if they're all vaccinated, then that virus is going to be disappear from that community because the amount of transmission is so low that it can't it can't it can't maintain itself. Yeah. So certainly the vaccination does uh, quite markedly. I've mean, seen it in many many studies that it that it does reduce the chances of infecting other people by quite a long way. Yeah. But not completely. Yeah. But what you're trying to do is getting many people as possible vaccinated. Are you, as a uh, uh, an advisory committee, able to get uh, you know the population uh, get educated by people who've gotten COVID uh, after they got vaccinated and have them tell us how it was that how it impacted them? Because a lot of people have those questions. Uh, they know that the vaccine is not a hundred percent, but you know uh, they also hear that people get, uh, you know, COVID is sometimes even after uh, getting vaccinated, but they don't know what happens after that. Are you as a committee able to, you know, let us hear stories from people who have had COVID after they've they've vaccinated so that we understand how it impacted them? Yes, uh, Kate, I think that's very important. I think it's a very important question. And unfortunately, we just don't have those kind of resources no, we're just a group of scientists and doctors and epidemiologists and virologists and so on. Mm. Uh, and it was a think tank to just advise the government, to advise the minister, essentially. Yeah, be- be- uh, because so I think... really have that role. Because I think, you know, that therein lies the place where a lot of people are stuck. The mere idea that the vaccine is not 100% and the possibility that they might get the virus and they hear of people who get the virus, because I myself have heard of, P- of someone who got the virus, but... They had very minimalist uh, um, um, 
symptoms. symptoms. Uh, in fact, yeah. uh, my friend was talking about how uh, she ended up uh, like a, a hay fever patient was sneezing a lot. She says, that's all I did. I sneezed a lot uh, for about 10 days after that. Uh, you know, uh, I, uh, when I tested again, I was, ne- I was negative. So a lot of people are scared by this. It's not a 100% thing. So what would you say to those people? Yeah, you know, I think there are two things. People do get, you know, if they if they get exposed to the virus too soon, because remember that the vaccine does take anything from two to four weeks before the uh, immune system is mature enough mm. to be protective. Mm-hmm. So if they get exposed before that, and then add another two weeks because of the incubation period of the virus as well, mm-hmm. uh, so, so up to four to six weeks, it may be just too soon for the virus, for the immune system, to be stimulated to be protective. Yeah, yeah. But there, there are, but there are genuine what you call breakthrough infections. Where people get infection despite being vaccinated, mm. and the great majority of those are mild. Now, it would be you know I don't see patients, and many of our committee also don't see patients. But it would be good for the doctors, the GPs out and so on, to maybe ask some of their of their patients if they would be willing. Yeah. Because we, we do need that communication. I Absolutely. Think it's a very good point. Yeah. The, the president yeah, today in his walkabout, I know you're not with him, uh, but the president today in his walkabout in uh, the East Rent in, in Eguruleni spoke about, uh, you know, the fact that uh, he's hoping that uh, very soon we'll have herd immunity. How many will it take for us to have uh, herd immunity? We sit now at about almost 7 million. So how many more do we need to have herd immunity in our country? Unfortunately, that's a moving target. Mm. You know, quite recently, we were able to calculate and said, well, if two-thirds of the population were immune, mm-hmm. and we're using the kind of data from infections like measles and so on, we can calculate. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, now we've got variants which, have got, which are more infectious. They probably need a higher level, up to 80%. So, you know, unfortunately, we don't really have our handle on it. Yeah. I think what we're saying is that the great majority, now what the great majority means, is it two-thirds, is it 80%? Difficult to put our finger on, but we're trying to get as many people as possible. And we can see it in countries like overseas, where even though there are a lot of cases, Mm -hmm. there are very few serious cases. No, yeah. European countries and North American countries and so on. Okay. They, they in fact, sometimes have more cases than we have. Yeah. But far, far, far fewer deaths and hospitalizations and so on. My last question to you, Prof, and I really do appreciate that you take the time to join us, is that we've heard that the fourth, uh, uh, the fourth variant may come and we may have it uh, by around Christmas or so. Those people that have already been vaccinated, are they protected from any other future variants that may come after they're vaccinated? Unlikely, but we don't know. The reason is that you know, these variants are unpredictable. This Delta variant we've got now is really unpredictable. Mm. And its, its behaviors and its characteristics, properties are unpredictable. Mm. So, but, but vaccination does, does give good immunity. In fact, better with Delta than the beta we had before. Mm-hmm. But it's just so unpredictable. This virus is kind of fooling a lot of us, unfortunately. Either way, I appreciate that uh, uh, with any new information you get, you come through and talk to us. Thank you so much, uh, Prof. 
Thanks, Kaiji. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Professor Perry Shoup is the chair of the Ministerial Advisory Committee on Vaccines. I apologize if we didn't get through to your call or your voice note. We ourselves were overwhelmed. Uh, It's two o'clock. It's time for the latest news. And it's Amanda Machaka that's standing by.